There was a couple that tried for 15 years to have a child, but she could not get pregnant. But they were approached about the possibility of adopting a baby. They had not even yet been born. So here we go. There's a child. There is a couple that's childless trying to have a child 15 years. They're approached by a pregnant mother asking if they would be willing to adopt her baby when she has the baby. And they said yes. But there's a legal transaction. Now, you got to listen to this because this is really going to set the stage for this sermon. I think this sermon, even though I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to do it justice through my preaching, if you can grab hold of the doctrine and the theology and what the Spirit is doing in what we're talking about today, this is going to change your faith. And I'm not even over-exaggerating that. I'm under-exaggerating it. So they said yes, and on the day of the, the adoption, there's a legal transaction. There's a legal enactment that has to happen. So the judge, they appeared before the judge, and the judge points his finger at them. This is a true story, by the way. And the judge says these words. Is anyone coercing you to adopt this little boy? And they assured the judge that they were adopting this boy out of love. It was their own free choice. So the judge says, and I'm quoting, from today on, he is your son. He may disappoint you, he may grieve you, but he is your son. Everything you own one day will be his, and he will bear your name. And then he looked to the clerk and he gave this command. And here's the legal transaction. You listening? So order a change in this child's birth certificate, and may it reflect that these are the parents of this child. Now I want you to take that true story of an adoption, and I want you to hold it in some part of your mind, and I want you to bring into that realm of what you're holding in your mind, this adoption story, I want you to bring into that realm of thoughts the truth that Christian brother and sister, and listen, I'm only speaking to you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, who have surrendered your life to him, trusting that he will take away your sins and you are submitting to his lordship. If that is you, then I've got news for you. That adoption that that couple experienced, that's what you've already experienced. Now, I know that everybody in here knows you're a child of God if you're a Christian. But I'm pretty convinced that for most of us, that truth has not yet been double-clicked on this soul and enlarged to all of its ramifications. It can't be on this earth. It will be all eternity that we're learning more and more what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. But while we are on earth, we can know it more, and it will change your life. Now, I began this sermon series called Ghost Sightings, Seeing the Holy Spirit in Action Today. I began this series, sermon number one, with this quote. The work of God is Trinitarian in every dimension. Now, I'm pretty sure there's got to be a couple people here. You're like me, and I, I sometimes I hear these words, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to tune out for a little bit until he tells me another story. You don't have another story coming for a while. So you got to take out of your mind your fork and your knife, and you got to cut into the deeper meat. 
The works of God are Trinitarian in every dimension. Now look at me for a moment. What that simply means is that every work that God ever does, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit work together. Trinitarian in every dimension. That was true in creation. The Father purposed the universe to be born. The Son pronounced it by his word. And the Spirit of God carried out the Son's command by his power. That's true in redemption. The Father purposed for you to come to know him. Before the foundation, before he even created the world, he purposed this. The Son did everything that was necessary to accomplish your salvation. Now watch, the Spirit of God took what the Son did, what the Father purposed, and applied it to your soul. See, the works of God are Trinitarian in every dimension. And that is true in adoption as well. So we're going to break this sermon into three parts. And what we're going to see is the work of the Father in adoption, the work of the Son in adoption, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first one is this. Adoption was the Father's plan all along. Now watch this. I'm going to give you a little background. You don't even need to look at your Bibles. By the way, you should be in Galatians 4. We're a BYOB church. What that means is bring your own Bible. Some of you got a little excited because you're carnal. Bring your own Bible to church. And I want you to mark them up. Now, some of y'all bring, you know, your phones and your tablets. That's fine. But, you know, good luck marking those up and finding your notes. Loria Thornton says she could do it, but I don't think she can. So bring your Bibles and let's mark them up. So growing up in the ancient world, I'm going to give you some context. Growing up in the ancient world was a very, very defined process, even more than it was today. Now, listen to this. In Jewish culture... In the ancient world, and by the way, it still happens today, the Sabbath following a boy's 13th birthday, he was taken to the synagogue for the very first time. Now, how exciting is that? For 13 years, this little boy was looking forward to the time where he can go to the synagogue with his father. By the way, on that first visit, the boy is given even a job in the synagogue. He's given a purpose. In childhood, the father was responsible to oversee the law of God to that Jewish boy, all the way up to 13 years old. But when he became 13, now you've heard this, then he became bar mitzvah. Bar means son, mitzvah means commandment. He was now a son of the law. He was a son of his father. Now he is a son of the law, and he is responsible to obey the law himself. And that's Jewish culture. In Greek culture, the son was under the father's care until his 18th birthday. Sounds a little bit similar to ours. When he then came under the care and the authority of the state, not like us, he became a cadet for two years. So in Greek culture, till he was 18, he was in the, the family's name under the care and authority of the father. And then he became a cadet under the authority and the care of the state for two years. Now, just before becoming a cadet, they would hold a festival. And they would cut off his long hair, and they would offer it to the gods, and that was his rite of passage into adulthood. Now, what I'm explaining to you is that the ancient world had a very defined growing up process. Let me take you to the Roman culture. Giving you the Jewish and the Greek, here's the Roman culture. They didn't have a fixed age. But they recognize adulthood to occur sometime between 14 
and 17 years of age. Now listen to this. The boy would turn in his robe when he became an adult and he would get his first Roman toga. And they would hold a li liberalia, that's what it was called, it was a festival. He'd be taken to the Roman Forum. He would be publicly introduced before the witnesses as a child. So you've got this analogy that the Apostle Paul is borrowing from when he wrote these words. When I was a child, spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, a very defined process He's taking from the Roman world, he, he, he receives his toga for the first time, he's pronounced as an adult in front of witnesses in the Roman forum. When I became an adult, I gave up childish ways when I became a man. Now I've given you that background because now we're going to go to our text. We're in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to look at, very simply, a few verses, verses 4 through 7. With all of that background, let's read. Actually, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. He says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Now, this is so odd to our ears. But it goes on. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. You might have the most incredibly wealthy parents. You might live on a massive estate. And you might be the rightful heir of it all one day. But until you are recognized as a man, until you're recognized as an adult, you're going to take your orders from the servants. That's what Paul is saying. He's borrowing from this very defined process of adulthood. You're in a position of a one-day owner, Paul's explaining. But you do not yet have the function as an owner. You're in the position of a future owner, but you don't function yet as the owner. The boy was in the care of those whose job it was to guide him to adulthood. But he was no different than a servant. In fact, listen, he took his orders from the servants. Look, at, look who the servants are named. Guardians and managers. Now, who are they? Now, let me give you a little time out. When you're studying the Bible, you cannot jump into the middle of a text. That's where the daily bread will take you. That is where sometimes streams of the desert, and I love these. Most devotionals will take you into the middle of a text, and they will not give you the contextual background. You're going to miss a lot of the truth. You're going to miss a lot of the power in your Bible study if you do not get that context. So we're starting in verse 1, but listen, we're ramping up. I'm going to teach you what it means to be spiritually adopted. You're going to learn by the time you leave here the power of knowing who you are as a son and a daughter of the Father. So let's get our bearings. Guardians were those who watched over the child. Managers watched over his inheritance. Now you got that? The guardian watched over the child, the manager watched over the inheritance. And they were in control while the guy was a boy. While he was a boy, they were in control. They gave the orders until he was an adult, until, look what it says, the date set by the father. Now, remember what I told you in the Roman world? 
Adulthood is recognized between 14 and 17. Listen, it's when the father deems it to be. It's when the father says you are now an adult. It's going to occur between 14 and 17, but it's by the date set by the father. And Paul is borrowing this. He's saying, listen, you're under the control, the power, the supervision, the authority, the guardians, and the managers until you become a man when your father sets that date. And he's borrowing from this custom. Now watch this. He's going to take the culture of the Roman world, and now he's going to bring it into the Christian world. And he explains that before Christ came, the Jews were under the law. Look at verse 3. In the same way, we also, whenever he says in the same way, now you got your context link. He just explained it. Now similarly, when we were children... We're, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, what is that? That sounds strange. When's the last time you've told your child, parents, you know what, you're just a servant of the elementary principles of the world? Does that roll off your lips with familiarity? Listen, these kind of sound strange, which is why you've got to study. This is why you've got to show yourself approved. Well, it sounds strange, but go back to chapter 3 of Galatians for just a minute. Look at verse 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Now watch this. Who's the guardian? Well, the law of God was. The law was the guardian until Christ came. Now watch. I want you to listen to this. This is huge. Might not seem big, but it is. The law could not give life. Did you hear that? The law could not make a person new. The law could not rebirth a person. The law could not make somebody a new creation. The law had a job. The job of the law was to lead people to Christ. It was to care for the Jewish people until Christ came. The law was the guardian. The law was the manager. It prepared people for Christ. The law preserved the inheritance of what you're going to get when you are putting your faith in Christ. It convinces the soul that you are morally bankrupt. It convinces the soul that all the good things that you ever thought you were doing, all of that church attendance, all of that bapti being baptized as a little baby, all of those sacraments, listen, they're all rubbish. They cannot save you. That's what the law is telling you. You're in need of a savior. So just as the manager guarded the estate and the inheritance, the law preserves the people of God and the plan of God until the date set by the heavenly father. But listen, the law could only guide the Jewish people. It could only reign in their flesh, the sinful desires. It had no power to produce life in anybody. Now you might be sitting there, metaphorically scratching your head going, man, I thought this sermon was about adoption. Let me start out with a story about it. Where'd it go? We're coming. We're going to get there. You got to get the context. What was the date set by the father? Well, verse four tells you. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We sang about redemption. We sang about the ransom, rather, of Christ. Listen, watch this. If you were a slave in the ancient world, if you were a prisoner of war in the ancient world, your loved ones could buy you back. Did you know that? They could buy you back. And what they bought you back with was simply called the ransom price. It was the redemption price. You had to pay a fee and they could buy you back. That's how they made money in war. They didn't just want to kill everybody. Listen, they wanted to keep as many people alive as they could. This is their livelihood. This is where they make all of the money. So you paid a ransom. You paid the redemption price. Well, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the guardian, under the law, to redeem, to pay that ransom price for those who are in prison to sin, those who are slaves to sin. So the father sent the son. The date is now. The time is now. The time the law's authority had come to an end. There's a new covenant of grace that was inaugurated. The Galatian believers, Jews mainly, who believed in Christ, they were being led astray by false teachers to come back under the authority of the law. How, how crazy is this? Don't you remember the Israelites when they wanted to go back to Egypt? Why would you go back to Egypt? You're free. Well, the exact same thing was happening. The Jewish believers were wanting to go back under the law, of which they were slaves, of which they were in prison. They had no authority. The law had the authority, but it could not bring life. Paul's astounded by this. You're forsaking grace. And you're going back to legalism thinking that keeping the law is going to earn you your right standing. The Bible calls it righteousness with God. And the reason why he's so dumbfounded, look at verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Listen, he's saying, you've got it all. You're an heir of everything. Why would you go back to the law? It gives you nothing. It just bankrupts you morally. It keeps you imprisoned so that you can find your way to the Savior. He's saying, you're no longer a little child. You're not one who's any longer below the servant. Christ has come. He's redeemed you. He's ransomed you. You've been adopted as sons. It's, it's bewildering to him. You've been adopted as adult sons, given the rights of your inheritance. Why would you go back to the elementary principles of the law? Now, I'm inching my way closer to the power of adoption. You got to follow me on the journey. Ephesians 1 says this, blessed be the God and Father. Now listen, some of y'all, when I, when I do this, I know, listen, I know what you do sometimes because until eight years ago, I sat in the pew under, under preaching all the time. It's so, how many of y'all know how easy it is for your mind to wander when somebody's preaching? Right, no hands, a few hands, right? Some of my least favorite parishioners. Listen, you're, your mind wanders. My mind wanders. My, listen, my mind can wander when I am preaching. And I'm not even kidding you. We have to keep enslaving it back to the truth. So here we go. When I'm going to read to you in a minute, in a second, Ephesians 1. Don't let your mind wander. This is explosive truth. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every... Now listen, did you read part? Some, partial, a few, couple, 
A bunch, not all. Listen, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, when? When did God choose you, Christian? Before the foundation of the world, before he created anything, and he chose you to be holy and blameless before him. It's his love that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. It's according to the purpose of Tim Ackley's will. No, you better hope it's not. I'm not that loving. You get me upset at you, and I'm not going to want you to be in heaven with me. That's my flesh. There is no flesh. There is no spiritual antagonism in Christ that says, I don't like people anymore. Listen, it's according to his will. This is how he adopted. If you want to know how big God's love is, I'm going to give you two yardsticks the Bible offers. You can measure God's love through these two yardsticks. Number one's the cross. Now watch this, because it's surprising. Number two is adoption. Number one's the cross. Number two is adoption. See what kind of love, John wrote, the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The Bible is saying, listen, if you want to know how big God's love is for you, then just understand the theology, the truth of adoption. It's going to show you how big God's love is. You're not going to doubt it anymore. Adoption is God the Father's plan to bring people into his family. Now listen to this. It's the Son who makes it possible. Now I've just shown you what the Father is doing. Remember, every work of God is Trinitarian in dimension. I've just shown you what the Father did. He purposed you to become his child, Christian brother and sister. But how? The Son's going to do it. So here we go, number two. Adoption is the son's purpose for dying. You know what regeneration is? Regeneration is being made a new creature, being given a new heart. You know what justification is? Justification, doctrinally, means to be given new robes of pure whiteness so that you can stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That when God sees you, he sees you covered in the blood, he sees you right with him. That's what it means to be justified. Now listen, you've got justification, amazing. You've got regeneration, powerful. But now you've got adoption, which is greater than the other two. Adoption's the greatest that there is in your salvation. It's by far loftier than regeneration. Regeneration brings you into the family. But watch, adoption gives you your inheritance. It's an amazing doctrine. You know, God only has one natural son. All the rest of his children he has adopted. You ever thought of it like that? You know, parents might have a child accidentally, but no one adopts by accident. No one adopts by chance. It's a very deliberate act of choice that they want a child to belong to their family. Well, you've got Rome in New Testament times. Well, what, what was it like in Rome? Listen, the father had absolute power over his child. When a child was born in Rome, watch this. The baby was laid at his feet. If he bent down to pick that baby up, it was a symbol that he wanted to keep the baby and bring the baby into his family. 
But if there was something wrong with the baby and he did not want that baby, listen, he would turn his back and walk away. The baby was picked up and taken to the Roman Forum where he was collected at night and he had three main destinations that he was going to go to. One of three. He was either going to be a slave, he was either going to be a prostitute, he or she, or he was going to be put to death. They actually threw babies in the water that were unwanted. They actually threw babies in the fire that were not wanted. Adoption rarely occurred in Rome. Now you got to hear this. But when it did, it was never the way that it occurs in America. It was never the adoption of a baby. Never the adoption of a child. It was always the adoption of a teenager or a young man. You know why? Because they adopted, to, they waited until they knew that their child was going to be fit and worthy to carry on their family name and to work in the family business. It wasn't until the early church came around that unwanted babies became adopted. That was just what didn't happen in Rome. Tony Meredith said this, the doctrine of adoption is the heart of the gospel. Adoption was never plan B. It's always been plan A. It existed before the world existed. God justifies, here we go again, he justifies sinners through Christ. He gives them right standing before him. He makes them new, cre new creatures, full of new life. He regenerates them. And then he adopts them into his family, gives them the inheritance. They become the sons and daughters of the Father, co-heirs with Christ. Now watch, all of the inheritance that the Father has for Jesus, every single Christian shares. You've got every spiritual blessing that the Father has for the Son. You've got that blessing, that amount of blessing for you. Every single human being is born belonging to this world, not to the family of God. Now, this is startling. I want you to hear this. God is not the father of every person. Boy, that's a, that's a misunderstanding. How do you know that, Tim? Well, for in Christ Jesus, verse 26, chapter 3 of Galatians, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You become a son of God through faith. Adoption occurs through Christ by faith, through grace by faith, because of the work of, of Jesus. So God sent forth, verse 4, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions of son, adoption as sons. Jesus redeemed us. Listen, look at me for a second. Jesus bought you back from the guardian and the manager of the law. You were bound up in that. You were imprisoned in that. The law of your flesh, the sinful nature, he bought you out of it. He paid the ransom price. He, he paid the redemption price. He died for you. His blood was the price. You are the blood-bought possession. You were brought out of the law. You were brought out from under the law's authority, and you were put into the family of God. See, adoption was the great goal of the father. He sent his son to accomplish it. 
But a person has to be brought into the family of God. The person has to put their faith in Jesus. And he does, he does this. He performs adoption through the redemption of his son. Now, I want you to hear this. If you want to know, Tim Ackley, who is one of your favorite biblical writers? Who is Not biblical writers, but theologians. I'm going to tell you, I think one of the best theologians, one of the best writers that could take really lofty doctrine and bring it down to a very understandable level is Jerry Bridges. He is amazing, and I want you to hear what he wrote. You can see it on the screen. Consider that every sin you commit is an act of rebellion against the sovereign authority of God. Now, we don't like that. Are you hearing this? Cornelius Platinga said, every sin you ever commit and I could commit it has a God word force. It's vertical. You cut that person off in anger on Route 78. Listen, it's vertical. You didn't like that person, but you forfeited loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. Every sin you ever commit is rebellion against God, for he has told you, he has told me to love and to do unto others as you would have others do unto you. You don't want anybody cutting you off on Route 78. You don't want anybody endangering your life or that of your family. Every sin has a Godward force. Consider that every sin you commit, it's rebellion. Or, as someone has said, it's an act of cosmic treason. So here we sit, Jerry Bridges says, on death row, condemned as rebels, waiting our execution. But instead of the death we deserve, we are made sons and daughters of the very king we have rebelled against. Instead of death, we get eternal life. Instead of wrath, we see, receive favor. Instead of eternal ruin, we are made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. All of this happened, now listen, without our doing a single thing to earn the king's favor or any attempt on our part to make restitution for our rebellion. His son has done it all for us. How thankful are you? That it didn't depend on you, that it doesn't depend on me to earn God's favor. You couldn't have earned it. I couldn't have earned it. The very best that I do falls short of the very perfection of God. Even in the midst of the very best that I do is a little bit of self-orientation. It's a little bit of lesser motive. I'm not doing it for the glory of God. I'm really doing it for your glory at best or my glory at worst. His son has done it all. Christian, you are a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father, a brother or sister of the Son, and you have made a, been made a co-heir with Jesus. But as mind-blowing as the position of an adopted child is, living it out takes the Holy Spirit. And we're at the third and final point. Adoption is the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. Now let me reword that. You want to know what the Holy Spirit's doing in you, Christian brother and sister? Now watch this. Look at me for just a moment. Give me your utter attention for a moment. The Holy Spirit is helping you understand who you are as a son and daughter of the King. That's what he's doing. God the Father has sent, the text says, he has sent the Spirit to us for exactly this purpose. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, did you notice that God sent Jesus? 
earlier in this passage? Listen, the father planned your adoption. The son did all that was necessary for you to be adopted. And the spirit of God's applying it to your life, applying it to your heart. The word Abba, the word Abba rather, is Aramaic. It was for the Jews. It was for the Hebrew believers. But then look, it's followed by what we, English, what we put in the English as father. That is pater, which is in the Greek, the word for father. So listen, you got to get this. Paul's writing and saying, listen, Galatians, there's Jews and there's Gentiles in your church. And I don't want either of you groups to miss this. So Jews, Abba, Greeks, pater, listen, you are sons of the Father. The Spirit of God is crying out in your heart, teaching you to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. We have a Father. We are His sons and His daughters. Now listen, you got to be careful. There's a lot of heresy out there. There's universalism. You see it in a lot of liberal churches. They'll tell you every single person on the planet is a son and a daughter of the Father. That is not true. You are, a father, you are a son or a daughter through Christ by faith. That's it. He is not the father of the unbeliever. He is the father of his children who believe in his son. God planned it. The son accomplished it. And the Spirit is working to help us to realize that we are adopted as sons and daughters. We belong to the family of God. Now, I want you to hear this. The Spirit of God is not aiming to fill you with a spiritual height. Now, listen, i, I got to bring this out. Let me labor on this just briefly. Because when I was a young college student, man, I was growing spiritually by leaps and bounds. I was going from mountaintop to mountaintop with only little, little dips and valleys between. I could not wait to get in my Bible. I could not wait to go on retreats. I could not wait for that next speaker to speak at church. Listen, I was spiritually high and I loved it. I'd come back from retreats going, how can I maintain this fire? I don't wanna lose this fire. How can I stay on this mountaintop experience? But every mountaintop has a valley. Christ never leaves you on it. He brings you back down. But young Christians like I was, we kinda wanna stay up there. And so we begin to think, well, man, listen, maybe the Spirit of God's job is to fill me with this spiritual high. So I've got to discover the latest worship songs. We've got to get together and, and have almost like seance experiences with other Christians, praying and sobbing and weeping for God to come by the Spirit of God and, and give us that high again because we're dull and we're lifeless. That's not what the Spirit of God is aiming to do. He is working, he is aiming to help you realize and be empowered by your adoption. And you can be empowered by your adoption when you are in the midst of the worst trial you've ever gone through in your life. Romans 8, 16 says this, He himself, the Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. He is bearing witness. In other words, he keeps reminding you, listen, he, God's not tired of you. He's not ready to throw you away. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. You are a co-heir with Christ. He loves you. He is going to keep you, and he is going to hold you, and he's going to get you to the end of your faith to where you come into eternal glory. 
He's telling you to stop speaking of yourself in self-disparaging ways. You're a child of the king. Why would you hate yourself? Go through that checkout line, ladies, and you don't quite look at the tabloid covers, look like the ones on the tabloid covers, and, and you hate yourself. Are you kidding? God made you, and you are beautiful to him, and he loves the way you look. And you have a job that, you know what, you have to take orders from everybody, and you want the higher position, but it's not coming. Are you all right with that? Because God's the one that gave you that position, because it's right there that you're learning the best how to be a servant of other people and of God. The Spirit of God is convincing you you're always invited into the presence of your Heavenly Father. How many people do I have to tell you don't have to clean up your act before you come to the Father? You don't have to hurry up and get rid of all your sins before you put your faith in Jesus. He kind of likes you dirty because he's the only one that can clean you up. And Christian brother and sister, it's okay when you've sinned and you come back to the Father and ready to confess it to him. He's always got his hands out. He's always saying, tell me your sin, throw it on me. I'm going to return my mercy. It's new every single morning. And listen, the Spirit of God is telling you it's true because you're his son. You're his daughter. He's telling you, you don't need to fear your father. He loves you the way that he loves Jesus. Did you know that John says this? He just is quoting Jesus. Father, he prays, let these disciples and those who are to follow from the preaching of their word, let them understand that you love them the way that you love me. Can you park your mind on that for a morning in meditation? God the Father loves you, Christian brother and sister, the very same way he loves Jesus, not greater and not lesser. Now, what would that do to your life when the Spirit of God cements that into your soul? He's assuring you that you are God's child now listen, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you cannot have this insurance. You are to feel outside. That's not a bad feeling. That can move you to Christ. That was the job of the law. You need to be moved to Christ. But listen, he's assuring you, Christian brother and sister, that you've got a vast inheritance ahead of you, helping you long for that eternal life where you're going to be together with God and your spiritual family. Now, we kind of like this part of the sermon where I'm telling you all the good stuff. You got to hear this. Being part of God's family means you have responsibilities. It means you have responsibilities. You got to bring honor to your father. You got to love your brothers and sisters in the church. We've told our children in the Ackley family many times, we don't hit each other, we don't hurt each other. Very rarely, in fact, I think maybe on maybe two times, have any of our children that I, that I know of, I know when I get older I'm going to hear all these stories that I never heard, but only two times that I know of have any of our kids hit each other out of anger. We made that from the very youngest of their age. We don't hit and we don't hurt each other. That of all people, 
we should love each other the most. And how many times have I told them, particularly when they're young, athletes don't do that. They're doing something that's bringing shame to our name as an Ackley family. I will tell them that. Listen, you don't do that. You're an Ackley. We don't do those things. Here's what Ackleys do. Their actions, now listen parents, you know this, their actions, good or bad, reflect on you. They give honor to you or they take honor away from you. So a lot of us, a lot of us parents teach our children to behave in a way that's going to bring honor to your family name. Why would you not? Well, God's doing that too. You've got a responsibility and the Spirit of God is whispering this into your soul. You belong to Father in heaven. You bear his name. You're a little Christ. That means you've got to bring up his name, not bring it down. You bring honor lifting him up, not tearing him down in shame. You bring glory to him. You give him the credit. You make him famous. You don't make him infamous by your actions. Listen, this is what it means to bear responsibility in the family of God. You're an adopted son or daughter. The father signed the adoption papers. The son paid the adoption price in his blood. The Spirit of God, listen, is raising us to be children of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in us, Romans 8, 23, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know what that means? Well, I'll give you the Roman custom by which Paul took this from. First, there was a private ceremony of which the person, the teenager, was purchased for adoption. The money was exchanged. And then there was a public ceremony at which the adoption was declared before witnesses. This is how Romans adopted. They didn't adopt babies or children. They adopted young men or young ladies, typically young men, and that's how they did it, a private ceremony and a public ceremony. Now listen, Christian, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were sealed, you were given a new creation, a new heart, you were justified, giving a new Roman toga, if I could put it that way, white robes of righteousness. Listen, you were pronounced a child of God in front of witnesses. You were brought into the family of God. You're made a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're his brother and sister. The very love that the Father has for Jesus, he's got for you. The very riches that he has for Jesus, he's pouring on you. But that's your private ceremony. There's going to be the day of redemption that Paul just talked about. That's when you're going to be recognized as an adopted son and daughter before everybody. I'm almost done, but listen to this. Many years ago, before electronic transactions, a poor pastor received a financial gift in the mail from a very, very wealthy person. But the benefactor, now listen to this, look at me. The benefactor wanted to give a very large amount, but he didn't trust the mail system. So he gave a small amount with a letter that simply said, quote, more to follow, unquote. In a few days, the pastor received the same amount again and again with a letter that read more to follow. And a few days later, the same thing, this true story, and on and on until the benefactor had sent the entire 
amount. Listen, that's the same for you, Christian brother and sister. The day that you put your faith in Jesus, God said, here's your inheritance. Here's your blessings. But there is more to follow. And as the Spirit of God works in your life and you begin to gain confidence and assurance that you're a child of God, He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to get tired of you. He's got more blessings for you. The love that He has, you're realizing it more and more. You're getting more confidence in who you are in Christ. Listen, He's constantly whispering the Spirit of God, there's more to follow. There's more to follow. There's more to follow. And you will get it all. You will get it all in a public declaration on the day of the return of Christ where you will enter into glory and you will be given your full inheritance to enjoy forever. Christian, listen to me. The best is yet to come. Verse 7 says it. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, listen, then an heir through God. It's all coming. Until that day comes, the Spirit of God is helping you and he's helping me to understand more and more the blessings of adoption. That's our ghost sighting. The Spirit of God who helps us understand our adoption. Amen.